Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Poles, the GM of the Chicago Bears. He's been in this situation before. He's had the number one overall pick before. He's had a big decision to make about what to do with it before. But somehow this year... This offseason feels like a whole lot more pressure than the last one. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. We'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so that you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons hanging out with you tonight. At Ian Fitz ESPN is how you find him. At Amber W Sports is how you find me. So it's the combine, Ian, which means that we have microphones that everybody speaks into. And Ryan Poles is no exception to that rule. The general manager of the Chicago Bears, he was the star today of the Combine because the Chicago Bears are kind of the star of the offseason right now, right? I mean, all attention is on this Bears team. Back-to-back years. Remember, he had the number one overall pick last year, and he was the talk of the Combine last season. Then he trades it to Carolina. We all know what happens after that. So here he is again because the Carolina Panthers stunk it up so badly last year that he has the number one overall pick in back-to-back years. And, yes, you are correct. He is the number one attraction uh, that, uh, to, at the circus, the zoo, the, you know, the amusement park that is the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. And you listen to him talk today, and, and I've read a, a, probably 15 articles after he met with the media this morning. And opinions are all over the place. Uh, you read, read between the lines with Ryan Poles. He's trading Justin Fields. They're keeping the number one overall pick. And then you have others saying, you read between the lines, oh, they're, they're keeping Justin Fields, and they're going to get a haul for the number one overall pick. It, it is all over the place. And I'll, I'll be honest. After today, I have now done a complete 180. If I were Ryan Poles and I'm the Chicago Bears, I am – keeping the pick and trading Justin Fields. Whereas about a month and a half ago, before I went to the Senior Bowl, you know, and and everything else, I was get the haul, go grab it and try and and, and get three ones and a couple twos for the number one overall pick and build around Justin Fields because he's a guy that's had three offensive coordinators in three years. He has not had consistency either from the play caller, the head coach, or weapons around him. I've done a complete 180 because you can have all the draft picks in the world – it does not matter if you don't have the right quarterback. And I think Caleb Williams is the right quarterback. I was with you. I also was saying that I thought the Chicago Bears should keep fields and continue to get an entire haul to build around fields because I felt like fields over the last few years had shown enough flashes where you felt like if you gave him more to work with, then you can get something out of this. And you don't necessarily need Justin Fields to be Patrick Mahomes to actually do some winning football. But I have also changed my mind. And one of the reasons I have changed my mind is not that I'm one of these people that necessarily believes Caleb Williams is hands down the next coming or anything like that. It's got little to 
do, frankly, with the actual talent in this draft and more to do with the contracts that will be coming out of this draft. The rookie deal that will be coming out of this draft, no matter who they decide. Now, if I'm the Chicago Bears, I'm strongly considering trading back a couple spots. So then you can kind of get best of both worlds. You could get, you know, a Drake May or one of these other guys that you might be high on and try to still get something in return in terms of picks. So you have some more flexibility there in terms of building around that quarterback. There are ways to do this beyond just keeping that number one pick where maybe you can toe the line and try to do a little bit of both. But in that scenario as well, you're trading away Justin Fields. And I felt like with Ryan Pohl's comments today, I'm one of those people. And like you said, people are taking the comments every which way, which means Ryan Poles in the in the that front office. He did a great job. A hell of a job. <laughs> I mean, a hell of a job. This is exactly what you want to do if you are Ryan Poles. But I was taking his comments. I was leaning towards the whole trade Justin thing, but maybe that's because I think that's what's going to happen, so maybe I'm a bit biased. Let's play this. You tell us what you think. Ryan Poles, the Bears general manager, here is his timeline on trading, if he's going to trade, Justin Fields. If we go down that road, um, I want to do right by Justin as well. Uh, no one wants to live in gray. Um, I know that's uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to be in that situation either. So uh, we'll gather the information. We'll move um, as quickly as possible. We're not going to be in a rush um, and see what presents itself and what's best for the organization. I mean, you guys think I talk out of both sides of my mouth as a lawyer <laughs> and word salads. I mean, that was just Ryan. We're going to do it quickly to do right by him, but I, but we're going to take our time. We're going to we don't want him to live in the gray, but we're going to mull our decisions. I mean, he's just spitting fire left and right out of his mouth and saying a whole lot of nothing at the end of the day to give us no indication of what he's doing. I will say this, Amber, if if he if this does get done quickly and they decide to trade and Justin Fields and they keep the number one overall pick and he does do right by Justin, I mean, players talk and that'll carry a lot of weight. If they're ever, I mean, for the sake of the monsters of the midway, right? I mean, and the, the Dick Butkuses of the worlds and the Mike Singletaries and, you know, and the Gale Sayers and the Walter Paytons, if they finally are able to put a winner on the damn field, you know how much weight that carries with free agents and agents that, hey, man, he's not going to screw you in the end. He's actually going to try and take care of you. Now, you're going to do what's best for the Chicago Bears and the organization first, but when it does come to a trade, he's going to try and get it done as quickly as possible. That does carry weight if, if that's the way it plays out. And if, and that's the bigger if, they can actually finally put a damn winner on the field. Now, what I thought I was hearing from Ryan Poles today, and he said all the right things all day, and it was a lot of general managers speak about Justin's a great leader and Justin's this and Justin's that, but we have to do what's right by our team and there's talent in the draft, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like I said, you know, a whole lot of not really Talking giving us season. a strong, a lot of not giving us a real indication of what he's doing, but he's, you know, saying the things that you expect to be said in those situations. So I was hearing it as we're going to trade Justin away. Gabe Neitzel was on Carlin versus Joe, and he was hearing it differently. Here's Gabe Neitzel earlier. We know how much Justin Fields is beloved in that locker room. Like his, you, you want to talk about an endorsement. His teammates go out of their way to endorse Justin Fields. They seem to think that they have something there. And I think that he, he talks about culture and wanting to build that culture in Chicago. I think he has that in the back of his mind as well. And, I mean... Setting a fee- setting a deadline for Justin Fields, I-, I don't know what that does. I mean, what's the best and final offer going to be? A second round pick, if you're lucky. I think if you're ch- if you're setting best and final offers, it's for the thing that actually has a lot of value, a thing that you traded at the end of the combine a year ago, and that's the number one overall pick. 
If you want value, obviously trading the pick is going to get you a hell of a lot more in return than trading Justin Fields. Look, if they hold on to the pick and they're not trading Fields, you know, as quickly as he is alluding to, meaning Ryan Poles, a GM of the Bears, this thing could go all the way up to draft night, which is your worst nightmare. <laughs> I mean, I'm already tired of talking and, about this and, thing. And it's Justin's, <laughs> and Justin's worst nightmare, right? It's gonna be because he, he's, he's as as polls put it, living in the gray and that in that limbo world all the way up until the draft in late April in in Detroit, Michigan. But that's why I, I if they're if they're holding on to the pick, this is going to happen very quickly. I, I think within a week, and because look. As Albert Breer, our good friend from, from MMQB and SI.com, reported you know, earlier last week, the, he, is, he has been told that the plan for the Bears is to have their decision made by the end of the combine. They have all the tape, all the film on all the quarterbacks. Now you want to meet in person. You want to read body language as, as to some very hard-hitting questions, put them up on the grease board, and then you have your final decision, right? You're done, bam, there you go. And then I don't care what they run the 40-time in or how many bench presses they do. And most of the, of the top guys aren't even going to compete or, or run or throw or any of that stuff. So you have all the information that you need. If So if you're going to trade fields, I think I think Burt is dead on meaning Albert Breer. This is going to happen by early next week. If it doesn't, your worst nightmare, Miss Wilson, is about to come true. I mean, it doesn't have to happen until April 25th. Yep. It is February 27th. We could still be having these number one pick versus Justin Field conversations for the next two solid months. And believe you me, we will (laughs) if they do not make a decision that they inform us about rather quickly. Yeah, coming up next here on Amber and Ian. You you're so happy right now. I mean, you're you're just you you look like someone like like I just I just kicked your dog. That's what you look like. <laughs> just the thought of having to deal with Justin Fields talk all the way up until April. I'm going to tell you right now, Amber. I don't think that's going to happen. I do believe a decision is made early next week, and I do believe that decision is going to be Justin Fields is traded, whether it's to Atlanta or Pittsburgh, and then. The Chicago Bears are just decide. And, and look, when, when you're trading fields, you already have your decision made. You know which quarterback you're taking. And if it's not Caleb, to, to a, a point you made in our pre-show meeting, then you might be going, all right, hey, Washington, you have Cliff Kingsbury. He was with Caleb Williams at USC. You might like Drake May or Jaden Daniels more. You still might make a trade, but I think that the Justin Fields part of this thing will be done by, if not the end of the combine, early next week. I just don't know what the rush would be, frankly. If I was the Bears, I'd be taking all the time in the world fielding all sorts of offers. I'd be fielding offers to see what call. the market yeah. is to, for the number one pick, fielding offers for just fields to see what the market is, fielding offers for trading back to see what the market is. I would be taking my sweet time considering all my options because if I'm the Chicago Bears, I'm the one – fully and completely in control. And the reality is you're not going to get a ton back for Justin Fields. So it's not like you're going to get so much more next week than you would get three weeks from now all the same. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, what does the future at the quarterback position look like for the Denver Broncos? We'll get into that here on ESPN Radio. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. 
At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. You may not see Russell Wilson's name out there for, you know, another few weeks. And I would just say that there might be some interest, but it's not going to be at the level that teams once were interested. There's been this narrative as if this guy doesn't have a place in the NFL. He may not be a starter for the next five years for the same team, but currently he is a starting quarterback in the league. There are places around the NFL where there are teams that might not be in within striking distance of the top three quarterbacks in this year's draft class that would consider a veteran option on the cheap like Russ. It seems insane to me if there wasn't a market for Russell Wilson when it would cost you like a million and odd bucks, like a million and change is what you could maybe get Russell Wilson for as your quarterback because the Denver Broncos are going to be paying him this next upcoming season either way. Amber and Ian presented by Progressive Insurance. Now, from the Broncos, the message was more clear, it seemed like, than the message from the Chicago Bears. We were just talking about Ryan Poles and what the Bears are doing with that number one pick or with Justin Fields. Well, with Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos, felt like we could read between the lines a little bit better. Like, he didn't actually say he was trading away Russell Wilson, but he talked a lot about the next quarterback and how important it is that they actually get the quarterback position right. And it didn't sound like he was talking about 10 years down the road, Ian. Here's the Broncos head coach at the NFL Combine today being asked, when does he expect to have a decision made about Russell Wilson's future? I expect that we're going to know fairly quickly. I said it's the Super Bowl, but I think more specifically, I think uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood next week, we're, we're going to – there's a couple of factors here. You know, obviously the cap projections came out. We're further down the road with the draft class, obviously the pro-free agents. I would anticipate it being, uh, you know, within the next two weeks. The question was finding the right solution to quarterback in uh, – in, in this league, which is obviously very competitive in our division, I think it's vital. I saw this like humorous meme the other day where there was a, a Bronco fan with a shirt on, and there was like eight quarterbacks' names with a cross through it, you know, and and he's drinking the quarterback Kool Aid. And I, you know, our, our job is to make sure that this next one, you know, doesn't have a line through it. That's so good. I love every bit of it. I mean, this next one doesn't have a line through it like swing and a miss yet again right there in Denver from Drew Locke on down to paying Russell Wilson, what Russell Wilson, a gazillion dollars uh, you know, to come over from Seattle where they didn't want him anymore. You can hear the tone in his voice, how disgusted he is with the, their quarterback situation in Denver. And anybody who thinks that Russell Wilson is still going to be on the Broncos roster in two weeks, Man, I, I, I got, you know, oceanfront property right there in Arizona for you, to quote a great country song. So there you go. I mean, it, it, it ain't happening. He's, he's gone. And now you're looking at the next one, and the next one on the board, unless they were to move up, and I do mean way up, and like into the top three, is probably J.J. McCarthy out of Michigan. Yeah, 
if they if they're even really very concerned about who they're taking in the draft, which obviously they're going to be concerned about that. But my point is, I don't feel like the Russell Wilson decision is based on quarterback X in this upcoming draft, frankly. I mean, it's not like we're talking about the Chicago Bears situation where they have the number one overall pick. I feel like the Russell Wilson decision is almost independent of that, where they're just looking at Russell Wilson. Hey, this isn't it. This isn't the future. This isn't the right fit. So we need to move forward. Yeah, he gone. Like we need to move forward. We need to make it work in this next draft and find the guy on a rookie deal, even if we don't necessarily have that guy in mind yet. Because also this Russell Wilson contract. Now, either way, it's ugly for the Broncos this next upcoming year. Although you just heard Sean Payton reference the salary cap, which is the increased cap, maybe going to help them a little bit, even though they're going to have a huge dead cap hit against them with Russell Wilson. You and I feel differently about Russell Wilson. Most people feel like you about Russell Wilson. Last year, I felt like I was on an island completely by myself here at ESPN saying that I felt like Russell Wilson was going to end up being better this past season than people thought. I thought that he still had something left in the tank. And, you know, I thought the, the season before that, it, not that I thought that he was at his height anymore, but I thought the season before that was a bit of an anomaly when it was such a terrible season. And he did bounce back, obviously, some this season. And he did have a much better season under Sean Payton in Denver. But I'm also not surprised that they'd be looking to move forward in a different direction because you've got to figure out that system and you've got to get it right and you've got to be able to put your own stamp on it once and for all if you're Sean Payton. I also think that Russell Wilson is going to have a market out there, Ian. And again, you and I feel differently about Russell Wilson, but I mean, I, I'm over it, all over it all day for a million and a half bucks or whatever the vet min is as we come into this next season that you'd be able to get Russell Wilson for if you're another team. Well, I, I think you would. Yeah, at least um, I'll ask you. Do you agree that his play has, has declined over the last two years? Well, no, not over the last two years. Over the the last four years, I would say overall. I mean. The year before last was worse, and then it got well, better this past season. Well, uh, so, well, But remember, the decline has been happening. The yeah, decline was yeah. happening, particularly his final season in Seattle, right after they changed OCs on him. Then he started hitting his decline. And also you're talking about a guy now who's entering his mid-30s. Go back two years. I mean, I, I should have said three going back to his last year in Seattle. Right. Started to drop. Nathaniel yeah. Hackett, that was an absolute bleep show. We all know that. So his play yeah. was only going to go up with Sean Payton coming in, replacing that disaster of a hire from top to bottom in Denver with Nathaniel Hackett and that entire staff. So there was, there, uh, his play was going to go up no matter what. You could have you gone and coached the Broncos last year, and <laughs> his play was going to go up compared to his previous season. I just don't think he's anywhere near uh, even a top third tier uh, you know, quarterback. I think he's anywhere from – 18 to 24, depending on the season and where he lands. That's why I think there's two landing spots. Is he a starter? Yeah. Is he a top tier? No. Is he even second tier? Maybe. So, I mean, it's Atlanta or Pittsburgh to me. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think Justin Fields would be a perfect fit in Pittsburgh uh, if that's where they end up coming in with the best offer for him. And then Russell Wilson possibly to Atlanta. Or if Fields goes to Atlanta, then maybe Russell Wilson to Pittsburgh, but he also has that diva quality to him. Um, and that, that, that I, I just talked to some people that have been his teammates and he, he, he does rub guys the wrong way. And, and that, that, that's part of maybe I'm skewed by, by talking to some of these guys when I'm, when I'm out on the road calling games, but Amber, he's, he's not anywhere close to what he was four years ago, three years ago. And 
Sean Payton knows quarterback play, and that dude couldn't he couldn't get rid of him quick enough. I mean, you saw that report where, you know, and I can't remember. I think it was in, it was in the athletic where they were trying to bench him in week nine. Right. You know, well, but and he it, and, and he, he said, it "Ain't happening." I'm not waiving my no, no injury clause or whatever right. it was. So, I mean, it, it's there's a lot of smoke around that Russell Wilson fire right now. Yeah, he said on the I Am Athlete podcast, he was talking about how the NFL had to step in and say, no, you can't force him to waive that clause because the Broncos were trying to force him into waiving it. I mean, that's a very dirty move, if that's true, from Denver. And if I'm Russell Wilson, frankly, I wouldn't want to be there because they tried to do that, because it was such a dirty move, frankly. When they're the ones that negotiated the contract, it's not like he forced them to pay him what they ended up paying him, right? Like, that was a Denver Broncos decision. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Amber, because think about this also. That man's made over $300 million. That's the third yes. highest in his in a career in the history of the NFL. He ain't going somewhere to be a backup. So if there isn't a team out there, if I'm Russell Wilson, man, I got 10 toes up on a beach and I'm good. I'm done. Well, see, I disagree with you there. Now, I'm not saying he's going somewhere to be a backup, but if I'm Russell Wilson, what I'm doing is looking around and seeing the best chance I have to win, not the best chance I have to stay for five years or even the best chance I have at making money because that right now is not the concern. If I'm Russ, it's just about where could I go and actually maybe do some winning? Where's the team that would maybe take a shot at me, whether that's Atlanta or Pittsburgh or somewhere else, some other team that we haven't even thought of? Because there are teams out there that are maybe looking at this thing, and again, maybe they think, hey, with Russ, in a season or two, could we win a Super Bowl if we only have to pay him a million bucks? which is a very dramatically different situation than obviously paying these other quarterbacks, these monster contracts. I'm just saying, I do think there will be a market out there for Russell Wilson. It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up, but I don't think it's going to be Denver. Coming up next, is there too much scoring in the NBA? This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, the Knicks might have uh, gotten one back last night with the NBA officiating. Amber and Ian presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's bring in some help with all things NBA. Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA, NBA reporter, kind enough to join us. And Tim, thanks as always for your time. The way that game ended last night, Monty Williams, the Pistons, they could not have been more upset after the game. Understandably so. It feels like the Knicks got away with one. And we know the Knicks were upset about a bad call earlier in the season. What did you make about the controversial ending last night? Yeah, I mean, there's not really much to make of it. The the Pistons got hosed last night and the Knicks got hosed 
a couple of weeks ago in game in Houston, and that's sort of the um, that's sort of the way these things these things go. Ultimately, I mean, you have the human error involved with officials, and there's been some notable instances of this lately. And unlike the game involving the Knicks and Rockets a couple of weeks ago, where if the Knicks had had a challenge, they could have challenged that play because there was a foul call. The fact that there was nothing called by James Williams last night really left the Pistons with no recourse. They can't go back and say, hey, you didn't call a foul there. You need to do something about it. There's no way in the rules to do that. So they just had to sort of sit there and deal with it. And given they thought that Paolo Bancaro traveled at the end of uh, the Pistons' magic game on Saturday when Paolo hit a game-winning shot after looked to me like he traveled, even though the last two-minute report said otherwise the next day. Um, don't understand where Monty Williams' frustration came from and why the Pistons, despite being 8-49, and 49, feel like they're playing better and, you know, trying to get to double-digit wins on the year and, you know, are sitting there going, man, it would be nice if we could have something go our way, especially on a night when, you know, uh, the ultimate irony of this is the Knicks were supposed to play that game last night in Detroit, and the reason they played it at Madison Square Garden was because the Knicks got an extra home game back after losing some in the in-season tournament because of the way that took out with them losing to the Bucks in the quarterfinals. So it was a, a game that went against uh, it's a game that went against Detroit from a sort of a, if you want to say a fairness standpoint on several fronts. And like I said, it was pretty understandable to see why Monty Williams and the rest of the team was as angry as they were um, after the game. Tim, our sports society in this in this world we're living in now is uh, is all about you know if something goes wrong, let's try and change a rule. See Josh Allen in overtime right against Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game a few years ago. Let's change the overtime rule so everyone gets a shot in, in overtime. Now you're hearing because of last night uh, and also because of the, what you referenced, you know, Knicks Rockets weeks ago that there should be some automatic review now implemented going forward, that this may be a discussion in the offseason. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's not an actual discussion I think that anyone's having. I think it's just people yelling. Uh, again, <laughs> like two weeks, two weeks ago, the Knicks had already challenged the play, and so they yep. couldn't challenge it. Like, you know, there's already a rule in place there. The Knicks just were not able to uh, implement the rule. And so, yeah, they lost the game, but, I mean, that happens. Like, there's going to be missed calls in games. And, you know, like I said, last night the Pistons didn't have a recourse to, you know, get this called after it wasn't called. But, yeah, I mean, these things happen. And, you know, I I think most people, when they get away from the outrage portion of this, would look at it and say – there's probably already too many stoppages in games and things are too long. And the idea of extending the game to try to call fouls that weren't called later, I just don't think that's anything that's realistically on the horizon. And I think really at the end of the day, the bigger issue that's going on is over the past several years, the NBA has had a pretty significant talent drain of its veteran officials. And as a result of that, you know, even though James Williams and Jason Goble, the guys who made this, these calls, are two of the, the more experienced refs now, in general, there's been, you know, a pretty significant drop-off of the guys who've been consistently refereeing NBA Finals games for a long time. And, you know, like you talk, like if you just look at talent, a talent pool for anything, whether it's, you know, players in a sport or whatever, if you lose a bunch of guys who've been at the top for a long time, it's going to take a while to sort of replenish that on the back end. And I think that's what the NBA is dealing with now. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a longer-term issue 
that's not going to be fixed in the immediate. But yeah, I don't anticipate there being more replay next year because of this call. Tim Bontemps joining us here on Amber and Ian. Tim, right now on ESPN.com, you and Kevin Pelton have an article from Embiid's 70 to Lucas 73, have NBA offenses become too good? Are you getting old on me, Tim? Like my co-host Ian over here who loves an old-school defensive slugfest and as little scoring as possible? Is that, is that what's happening? Are the, offenses, are the offenses too good, Tim? Hold on a minute, Tim. I, let me defend myself there from Ms. Wilson, <laughs> uh, my, my, uh, my co-counsel here on, on ESPN Radio. I don't mind an old-fashioned defensive battle. It's not that I'm in favor of it every you time, but I it. don't mind it, Tim, because we, we, we ain't seeing defense right now. Yeah, I would say that uh, in the aggregate, I would argue that things have probably slid a little bit too far in favor of offense, um, and that was really more or less what – Kevin and I tried to set out to see, like, is there actually an issue? Um, is it just sort of the natural evolution of things? Could anything realistically be done? And I think the ultimate answer is things should probably go a little bit back in favor of the defense. I thought Drew Holiday, you know, he ended the article with Drew Holiday making, I thought, the most compelling point as I talked to many people for this story, which is why don't we just ref every game like a playoff game? And if you look at how playoff games are played, they're not 75 to 70 games. There's a lot of physicality in the games. The scores are still high, and the competition level is really high, right? And I, I think ultimately when you talk to people in the league, the biggest issue that they have at the moment is that defensive players are just not really allowed to be physical at all with their opponents. And in particular, you know, if you watch guys like Jason Tatum and Jan Tenekupo and James Harden, they've really perfected this method of driving in the lane, using their off arm to create space, and then going up for a shot. And if the defender is putting their forearm on them in the way they are putting their forearm on the defender, it's getting called a foul every time. And so I think if there's some things on the margins like that that are changed, I think that would be overall beneficial for the product. But at the end of the day, we've also just seen a pretty massive evolution in the sport from a skill and shooting standpoint. And whereas 20 years ago, like Mike Brown said, there was maybe one guy on each team you'd have to worry about as a three-point shooter – now, you've got teams like the Thunder, where they just have five guys outside the three-point line every possession of the game, right? And it's just, it's really caused a lot more stress on teams defensively. It's created a lot more driving lanes on the court. And it's just, in general, led to a lot more scoring. And I think no matter what you do with the rules, at the end of the day, we're not going back to the days of 75 to 70 or 80 to 85, even if the NBA wanted to, which is simply the way the game is played now with the amount of skills on the court. There, there's just a baseline of scoring that we're going to get to basically no matter what happens. Tim, how much would everybody you talk to, is it also just about a little bit of, uh, of that thing called effort on the defensive end? Yeah, I think that's a pretty massive misnomer. I, I think if you go back and watch game, like, you know, if you go back and watch a game in the 80s or 90s um, on NBA TV or on you know, ESPN Classic or something, most of the guys on the court aren't moving a lot of the time. It's like there's one guy guarding somebody, and everybody else is just kind of standing around relaxing until the ball gets swung to their defender. And if you watch an NBA game now, the, there are guys flying around trying to guard stuff all over the court throughout the entire game on every possession. And it requires a lot more energy and exertion to play an NBA game now than it did even 10 years ago, but especially 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, I, I think a common refrain is to say, oh, well, these guys don't care. They don't really try on defense. 
But I think if you actually sit and watch a game, it, it just doesn't it, it just doesn't measure up um, that argument when you really watch a game and see how much energy is being exerted on the end of the court. It's just that in the past, you used to have eight guys standing within 10 feet of the basket or 15 feet of the basket. And now, again, you've got two guys in each corner behind the three-point line. You've got two guys on the wings, usually 25 feet away from the basket behind the three-point line. And there's just so much more ground to cover that it's just very difficult for anybody, no matter how good a defender they are, to keep in front of the incredibly skilled players that we have in the sport. It's very difficult, and the rules favor offense because offense is fun, Ian. Offense is fun. Scoring is fun, Ian. Uh, you need to come around to today's basketball. You can check out Tim Bontemps' latest on ESPN.com. That article just dropped today. Thanks so much, Tim. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep. Uh, that's our pleasure. By the way, you are, you are seriously uh, on the verge of, uh, you know, slander, young lady. You don't like fun. I, 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 what did I You're say? talking to my kids again? You don't like fun. See, Scoring my, is fun. Here's my like problem with, with today's society, to go big picture. Everyone wants thinks that, that 58-55 in the NFL is a great game. It but, is. But 24-21 is an awful game. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's, where we, that's where we differ. You make it sound like I want 70-75, to 75, you know, in the NBA. No. I'll, I'll take, you know, at least – and he and I like his his answer on effort on the defensive end because that's what Charles Barkley was talking about before the All Star break, right? Where there's no effort being being put forth on the defensive side of the floor. And I I halfway agree with Tim and I halfway agree with Charles because the game has changed a ton. And we talked to Barkley about this about what a month and a half ago. And to me, you know, you, you get a 230 to 220 game in in, in you know. <laughs> that's just not fun to me. That's 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 one-sided. I like effort on both sides, and I enjoy a great defensive football game at times if it's executed well. If it's sloppy offense, no. If it's phenomenal defense, yeah, there's a difference. I, I understand the concept that defense matters, right, and that if you have no defense, then it just seems a little bit overinflated, and so that's going to be the complaint with the direction particularly the NBA has gone. Although I agree with what Tim's saying there. It's overstated that nobody plays defense. They do. Agreed. But the offense and the skill level on the offensive side of the ball is so much more elite than, frankly, it used to be. So that's part of it. It's like, how do you well, even the stop the shot. scoring? And that's made all the difference in the world. The three-point yeah. shot, yeah. the working on the three-point shot, the perfecting, that is an art from behind the arc. How do you even defend that? And then it creates so many more problems in the inside if you are able to defend behind the arc. So there's a lot more to the game today with the way that the game is being played. And it's not just that these guys aren't putting out effort or aren't trying on defense. It's just, frankly, a lot of harder of a game to defend than maybe it once was. Plus, again, the rules, they, they favor offense. I also think they favor offense for a reason, though, because in every sport, sports, in every sport, it's the same thing with the NFL. It's the same thing with college. college right? It's the same thing with these college quarterbacks basketball. that you can't breathe on. It's all because offense is what does, in fact, sell tickets. Like, sure, defense might win championships, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Offense does actually sell tickets. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, a terrible call last night left one NBA coach annoyed to say the least. That is next here on ESPN Radio. 
the absolute worst call of the season. We had a chance to win the game, and there was a no call. That's an abomination. You cannot miss that in an NBA game, period. Shot clock turned off. T. Vincenzo, 10 seconds, throws it away, and he'll commit the foul. Referees don't call it. Brunson picks up the loose ball. Shovel pass. Hart lays up. Good! Hart lays it in with 2.8. Hart puts it up and in to give the Knicks the lead. You can call it tight. You can call it loose. I'm looking for consistency, and I thought they were. So you heard it there. The Knicks game ended in controversy last night, and boy, are the Detroit Pistons mad. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can find him, Ian Fitzsimmons, at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me, Amber Wilson, at Amber W Sports. So it's when DiVincenzo was diving for the ball. He collides with Thompson. No foul is called, even though it is clearly one. So Jalen Brunson has an opportunity to recover the ball, which leads to a layup from Josh Hart, which turned out to be the game-winning point for the New York Knicks. And Ian, you'll remember, not long ago, the Knicks were screaming and yelling and crying because of a call that was wrong, a bad call in a game that cost them a game. Now this is a no call in a game that gives them a game. So I guess all is well that ends well in the NBA. Of course, not according to Detroit. No, and, and I'll get to the Pistons in a moment. But going back to that game against the Rockets, yeah, Brunson's closing out on a three. Uh, doesn't doesn't interfere with a landing zone. Does not make contact. Uh, whistles blown. It was a horrendous call. But, you know, Tibbs couldn't, you know, challenge it because he'd use his challenge in the second quarter. And then that's a lesson NBA, any NBA coach, man. Don't burn it, a challenge early in the game when you might need it late. So because he didn't have a challenge, guess what? Couldn't review it, and even though there, 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 there was a whistle. And Houston goes on to hit the three free throws and cover the, prep, the spread. Why do I remember that? Because they had the Rockets. Now, <laughs> it, it evens out for the Knicks because they got one go their way against you know the Pistons. And, I, I, look, I feel for, for Detroit right now because this is not a team – that is just throwing in the towel and going through the motions. I mean, they, they're, they're still fighting right now. And, you know, they're trying to avoid infamy. You, you, you shrugged right there and kind of went, well, you're, you're full of it, Fat Simmons. Well, no, I'm not because you look at it, they're trying to avoid being the worst team in the history of the NBA. Nobody wants that on their label. Nobody wants that on, on your resume. And they're trying to avoid being worse or tied for the worst with a 72-73 Philadelphia 76ers. You know what their record was? What? Nine and seventy-three, mm. and you're sitting there going, "Well, the Pistons are, you know, just two wins away from beating that." Remember, this team lost what twenty-eight straight. So last night was one of those pivotal games, and I get why Monty's upset. And his team is—they're still giving effort out there. So, you know, it, it sucks for them because you know anybody on that roster in the front office on the coaching staff—they're trying to avoid infamy and being tied to the worst team in the history of the NBA meaning the 72-73 Philadelphia 76ers. And, they, you know, the Pistons are sitting there with eight wins. That would have put them one win closer to avoiding it, tying that awful, grotesque, lovable ball club known as the 72-73 Sixers. So I understand completely why Monty's upset. And it's not the first time it's happened to him this year. Clearly he addressed that also in his very brief, animated, and spot-on post-game presser. Monty Williams is upset because he's getting paid 70, $78.5 million 
to coach a team that is right now eight and 49. It's not a good look. It's not what Monty Williams is expected to do there in Detroit. And I'm sure he feels all the pressure of that. So the culmination of that, of the amount of pressure that he's under of the laughing stock that has been the Detroit Pistons this season. And then for a game that was hard fought against a good New York Knicks team, albeit a very injured New York Knicks team, but a good New York Knicks team for it to end that way. When it, if you're Detroit, you felt like you deserved that game. That's where the frustration comes out. I have a hard time, frankly, getting passionate about this though, Ian, because it's not as if now we're talking about a Detroit team that just got screwed out oh, of an no, opportunity to be in a postseason. No. I mean, it's I'm just giving you the, the Detroit happen. side of it. That's all. I mean, right. you know, they, they, they're, that's why he's so hacked off, a part of it, because they're trying to avoid being the worst ever. I mean, that that's not something you want on any of you, whether you're Cade Cunningham or Monty Williams. You don't want that on your resume. But the bigger issue is how do you, as a crew chief, you're a foot away. How do you miss that call? I mean, because that, that you're literally right there. You, I mean, you're, you're a foot away, and you completely miss it. That's the bigger <laughs> picture. Or are you giving a little makeup there to, to New York because, you know, you owed them one if you're the league? I don't know. The conspiracy theorists can unpack that one. But Monty Williams, he is the Pistons head coach, and this is what it sounded like when he was asked about that final missed foul call at his postgame presser. Where's the New York media now? The absolute worst call of the season. No call. And enough's enough. We've, we've done it the right way. <clears throat> we've called the league. We've sent in clips. We're sick of hearing the same stuff over and over again. We had a chance to win the game, <clears throat> and the guy dove into Asar's legs, and there was a no call. That, that's an abomination. You cannot miss that in an NBA game. Period. And I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of our guys asking me, what more can we do, coach? That situation is exhibit A to what we've been dealing with all season long, and enough's enough. You cannot dive into a guy's legs in a big-time game like that and there be a no call. It's ridiculous, and we're tired of it. We just want a fair game called, period. And I got nothing else to say. We want a fair game, and that was not fair. I'm done. Nobody argues with that. He walks off set, of course, after that comment. Uh, Exit stage left. Right, exit stage left. Nobody argues with wanting a fair game. I don't think anybody's out here advocating for missed calls or no calls, particularly ones that are so obvious that we can all see and we can all agree. I mean, even the Knicks know they got away with one there. But the reality is, Ian, this is a very hard game to call. And I know that because... It's very obviously a hard game to call when nobody can call it well. (laughs) I mean, this has been a thing that we've been talking about for years with the NBA, and I think it's how fast that game moves. I think that there's a lot of things that factor into this equation of why it's so difficult to call NBA games to a T. Certainly, we all wanted to get better. I just, I don't know, Ian, if we're going to live in a world ever where there's no, no missed calls uh, uh, or that, bad calls. Yeah, that world does not exist. It's not going to happen. Uh, but to the big picture when it comes to NBA officiating, it's not like it's the NFL. The NFL from start to finish was a horrendous season mm-hmm. for NFL officiating. I don't, we haven't heard that kind of an outcry in the NBA. You know, it, I mean, it was we have over the years. We have over the years. Not this year. I'm talking about this season. Right. You know, you, you haven't well, heard it like the NFL. Well, the Knicks did a lot of it. 
That's the irony of this, though, it's, it's, is that the, the Knicks are, you ones. know, yeah. and then they were challenging. Don't forget, right. they want them they want them to force uh, to them to replay the end of that game. Uh, Remember that whole thing? They're trying rockets, to challenge the yeah. league. And then now this. Now they got a mulligan. Coming up here on Amber and Ian, it's talking season. But is it also truth-telling season? We'll get into that on ESPN Radio.